0: got a lot to say about the world i occupy every day but when i say what's on my mind i find i piss people off you're listening to what the folk real talk and raw
1: tunes for revelationary times i'm joy damiani
2: i'm sarah baronowskis
1: and on this episode, our featured guest is Jenny Pacanowski, the founder and director of Women Veterans Empowered and Thriving.
3: So I want the empowerment to come from within, and we speak about that at every workshop. Like, how can I be my own best friend? How can I ascend to the best version of myself from within myself? What does happiness look like? What does thriving look like? I want more for my community, for my veterans.
1: But first, if you've been enjoying this podcast of ours, please do show us some love by subscribing to us or leaving us a five star rating and or review on iTunes and sharing us with your friends and family and opinionated coworkers and like random people on the street, you know? Thank you so much in advance. (laughs) And now, by request of Jenny Paganowski, we're going to kick things off in this episode with one of my songs. It's called Try Not to Be a Dick.
0: In 20-odd years of living, I have had the chance to learn some of life's lessons like when you go outside, wear pants, I've given quite a bit of thought to our statutes and laws but there's one simple principle that supersedes them all it's try not to be a dick cover your mouth when you sneeze so others don't get sick stay out of the fast lane you are driving slow. It won't always be easy, cause other drivers suck, I know. Just try not to be a dick. When you stand on the escalator, would you please step to the right? So that if I need to pass you, we won't have to fight. The concept's pretty simple. A child could comprehend That you should turn your blinker on Before you round the bend
1: Jenny Paganowski is the founder and director of Women Veterans Empowered and Thriving, a reintegration program that utilizes writing and performance to empower experiences and facilitate skills to thrive in daily life. While Jenny was in the Army, she deployed to Iraq in 2004 as a combat medic. And provided medical support for convoys with the Marines, Air Force, and Army. She also did shifts in the Navy Medical Hospital. And in Germany, she was part of the medical evacuation company. Jenny has received training in facilitation, teaching artistry at the Lincoln Center, interpreting and adapting plays and performance through NYU and NEH with Aquila Theater. Her play Dionysus in America was produced at the Vortex Theater in Austin, Texas in 2019, which was, I think, shortly before the the bulk of the apocalypse kicked off. (laughs) And uh, so before we jump into our first uh, apocalypse-related hardball question, uh, I will just say you can find out more about Jenny at JennyWarriorPoet.com and WomenVeteransEmpowered.org. Jenny Pakinowski how is your apocalypse going
3: (laughs) (laughs) that's a really challenging question a good hardball start
2: (laughs) oh man that's supposed to be our like getting to know you question (laughs) icebreaker
3: I I have to be honest I excelled through the apocalypse I did extremely well um We launched all of our programming onto Zoom. So our local organization became national quickly. We met so many cool veterans that we continue to meet with and have workshop with. So really what kept me afloat and also like inspired and uh, motivated and, and like, I wouldn't say happy, but like definitely, it was a, It was just, uh, it was really good to be with my fellow veterans, even if it wasn't in the same room. Zoom became, like, my vehicle for connection. And I, in Pennsylvania, the grocery stores were still open, so I would, and no one was there, and no one was on the highway. So it was like a trigger-free zone. (laughs) So I was like, cool. (laughs) Cool. at, you know, noon on a Sunday, which would like, is like the worst time here to do that. <laughs> so, and, and, uh, I did private lessons with my dogs. So we did training dog training throughout the pandemic. Um, the loss of life and jobs and, and my compassion to hold space for people that were going through that was, um, was enormous. Um, but I did not experience that personally. So wow. that's always a weird question for me. I'm like, do I tell people that it was pretty great most of the time?
1: Oh. So I think real and we're all about real talk.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah. And, and it was, it was just talking to my veterans and staying connected with them and, and I met uh, veterans that were like are extremely agoraphobic that I'd just stay in their house, and I would have never met them if we didn't have Zoom. So, so there was a lot of connection. Um, sorry, I I forgot to tell you ahead of time, but I'm going to possibly
1: be pausing for unnaturally long amounts of time to account for the slight delay with Sarah, so that she can get a word in edgewise, because as we both, as we all know, I <laughs> tend to have words. <laughs>
2: <laughs> many words. So
3: many, many words. Quick words too. I, I also have quick words, so <laughs> <laughs>
2: um, I don't I just wanna say your your apocalypse description resonated because I mean I definitely struggled with, you know, aspects of it and just feeling the weight of everything happening in the world, but on a personal level, it was good for me, and I was able to work from home. We started this project during the, you know, during the shutdown, and it's allowed us to talk to people from all over the world in some cases. So, you know, it's, um, yeah. So I feel like that's real, that's like a layer to it, and it doesn't discount the other layer. What's happening yeah
3: and and that that was a really that was a really good um reflection as well the weight I could feel the weight definitely okay. um but I definitely tried to stay focused on you know not being afraid not feeding the fear and 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 practicing you know my own empowerment model within myself as well as with the veterans can you guys hear that banging in the background
2: it sounded like someone's walking around or something <laughs>
3: I don't know if we should talk about this during the podcast my dog is licking her bowl obsessively and <laughs> I just want her to stop I it, just her dinner. Can, yeah cool
2: I there's been many interruptions to give updates on what my cat is doing in previous episodes so this okay. is not without this is not without precedent
1: I need the Get like an invisible pet or something because I can't have pets in my apartment. But I need to have something to talk about in the end times, you know. Like the random, yeah, random, was, like having a ball. But yeah, so yeah, the um, the transition to being virtual has been like I think it's been such a spectrum of experience for people based on like, you know, what kind of communities you work with, what kind of work you do. And I think it's, um, it's awesome that this, you know, really um, trying and challenging time has had its, its silver linings in that way. And that has helped you connect with, with, um, you know, with all kinds of other veterans and uh, with who veterans who may, who may be um you know antisocial like many of us tend to be and uh <laughs> in our own unique endearing ways <laughs> um so i would love to know what uh, you, for you to talk about i know a little bit about what set you on this path that you've been on you know this sort of creative path and this um like advocacy path since we've Met, I was trying to think like almost 10 years ago now it, and um we were both in very different spaces <laughs> and um it just it's been really awesome to see everything that you've that you've done over you know over the course of just since me knowing you so maybe you could talk a little bit about your your journey and your path and how you got to this this page this page of the apocalypse
3: <laughs> uh let me think to start the journey... It was really nice to find other angry veterans at first. Like, you know, being a part of Iraq Veterans Against the War, and then uh, meeting certain artistic communities, and being part of that. But there was often something uh, something missing for me. Not, not to speak, I mean, the community was great, um, but I was looking for something more. So I started searching. I'm like, okay, what else is out there? You know, like, yes, I want to peace build. Um, yes, I want to be an artist or a writer, and I finally identified as a poet. Uh, you know, working in New York City with poetic theater productions, and working with Faye Simpson at U.S. Body, and then finding to recruit and learning Shakespeare for veterans, uh, specifically for us, and uh, and 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 doing that kind of work with the narratives of um, of Shakespeare and the veterans combined. But I was still searching, and I wasn't sure what I was looking for, and. At first, I didn't think I really connected with other women veterans. I found, uh, sometimes I found it triggering, you know. I don't know if anybody else has girl trauma here, but I have a little girl trauma. And, you know, and then also, you know, I didn't really want to be one of the boys anymore either. So so where was I to go? <laughs> <laughs> so I found, I think one of the turning points was I found um, the Wild Woman Project, uh, run by Chris Maddox, and I went on top of a mountain at a retreat, and I had a very cathartic experience telling them my stories, all women, all civilians, um, and they really welcomed me home after I read one of my most brutal poems to them, um, Heart of the Enemy, and I thought they were going to see me as a monster, as I saw myself, and they didn't. They, they showed me unconditional love, and welcoming home, true welcoming home, not not a parade, not a fucking waving flag, none of that bullshit. Uh, this was like, hello, you know, you are home with us kind of moment. And and once I started having the connection uh, with the Wild Woman Project Women, uh, I started searching again. And I was like, well, I live in the Lehigh Valley, I live in Pennsylvania. So... Um, I was just uh, I didn't know what to do and I walked into the VA classically and I was like where's your women veteran group (laughs) and they looked at me and they said well that group got really toxic we don't have it anymore and I was what that sounds like a facilitator problem not a veteran problem specifically not a woman veteran problem so that kind of like sparked something inside of me, and I was like, "Well, I have all these fucking skills: the facilitating, uh, the writing, the performance. Like, I know how to do these things. I know how to kick these things off." Um, and I was like, "What would it look like if I did it?" I, I started my own nonprofit, which I knew nothing about business, which is still a learning curve. You're like, "We'll figure it out eventually." <laughs> Um, so I focused on the programming and I focused on just like holding space, uh, for the women veterans. And all of a sudden I was holding this space and they, they showed up and I was like, Oh, hello. <laughs> nice to meet you. <laughs> and that is like authentically my response. Almost every time I meet another woman veteran, are you a veteran? And they're like, yes. And I'm like, Oh, Hi. <laughs> Have the same response back it's not weird <laughs> I do.
1: Yeah
3: oh. Hi Oh my god you're one of me I want to be And I found that no matter what our experiences were just being in the military has a specific energy to it a specific feel to it and we all know what that feels like so, um, so I started facilitating the workshops and it, and it grew and I really wanted to create a space, um, that wasn't just like ripping people open and like, here's my trauma and then like go back into my life and I'm like bleeding over everyone. I'm yelling at my husband I'm like, you know, just like, tr- I, I would have, I used to have to, after workshops like 10 years ago, find a way to put myself back together so I wanted to create a space where we could do it together. We could we could we could open up and we could close up. We could do the ritual. So the opening is a is a check-in. How do you authentically feel? Let's breathe together. Let's talk about not internalizing other people's pain. And then we'll talk about our stuff. Then we'll write it out, you know, without judgment, with this kindness, compassion. Uh, not taking things personally, these things that I've been practicing a really long time because I used to be vicious. Mostly first to myself and then to others. So I reframe that whole idea of like, well, if I practice this kindness, compassion, and not judge for myself, and we hold this room, we can practice it together. And then we close the space. We say what we want to reinforce in our life and then breathe together and breathe again and again for every participant, every time, and close the space so that we can go back into our lives. And you know, and then checking in with each other throughout the week or days after if it was a triggering experience, um, or if it was wonderful and you just wanna say hi. Um, a lot of the things that I did not experience in other groups and I wanted to create a space for that. <laughs> I, was, I got really excited, see
4: Amy.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's why I wanted you to come and talk about
1: this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, sorry, I just got I got excitement stuck in my throat. <laughs> 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 Sarah, did you want to jump in?
2: Um sure. <clears throat> Gosh, there's so many things I'm interested in asking about. Um I kind of liked what you said about having girl trauma and um, I think that's something we maybe don't talk about as much, especially when, you know, we're very focused understandably. So on sort of, you know, naming the patriarchal <laughs> issues with our society, but also, um, you know, I've had a sort of similar experience where I think it's really in my thirties that I've been able to like resonate with groups of women and finding women. So with your project, the, um, Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. I forgot
3: the name. The it's a mouthful. Women's <laughs> <laughs> empowered and thriving. Yeah. I needed those words in my na- my organizational name, so it just got really long. Yeah,
2: it. so <laughs> it's great though. I love it. Um, you think that like that's a space that could only exist primarily with women, or do you think it could be a space opened up to multiple genders?
3: Wow, good question. So we found out yes. The, the the men in our community saw what we were doing and they were like what about us <laughs> and I was like I got you so we have an all veterans group now so that would include non-binary, transgender like all, all the whole essence of all and uh, we have a family um, a veterans group as well um, because uh, how do I say this I'm not going to say it nicely Uh, You know, veterans suck sometimes. We suck, we act like assholes, we have trauma, we snap at you, you know, and I felt the families needed a space to bitch. Like, if you want to, like, I wish I could put that in my marketing, but, like, I don't know if anybody would get it. Like, I want to say it. Like, if you want to talk shit about your veteran, come to this workshop. (laughs) And then just recently in person here in Pennsylvania, we started opening all women, all women, veteran, non-veteran, the whole nine, Mm -hmm. uh, to hold this empowerment model that we've developed um, as a group. You know, four of us women who are on my board, you know, talked for hours, uh, took the idea that I had originally and then just, you know, expanded it even more. think I answered your question
2: yes you did yeah Yeah, I love this empowerment model too that's yeah such it's just a really great way to evolve the sort of as you said just the sort of like let's lay out our trauma and then that's it kind of thing so and it's
3: also so often in my journey and my searching as I called it Mm
2: -hmm.
3: I was looking for external forces to help me feel better I was looking for external everything to make it. I had a service dog, which I loved. I love that dog, but he is external from myself. And when he passed, that was another, you know, uh, obstacle I had to overcome. So I want the empowerment to come from within. And we speak about that at every workshop, like how can I be my own best friend? How can I ascend to the best version of myself from within myself? What does happiness look like? What does thriving look like? Survival humans can do, but what else is there for us? I want more for my community, for my veterans. So that's why I started that. And honestly, because I needed it myself. Like a a lot of these practices came from what do I need? Or asking other people, what do you need? How can we facilitate this? Because I definitely don't want to be told what to do anymore. Oh, my God. Yeah. That, like, that's... Thank you
1: for, for that perfect um segue into what I was just about to ask you, which is, like, how... How... Was this a, a conscious deprogramming of military conditioning, or is that just what it is naturally? <laughs> because, you know, as we... As, as you and I know, Jenny, and as, as Sarah knows from hearing me talk about it ad nauseum and, um, and all veterans who um, think about it know, like military conditioning is deeply dehumanizing. They're essentially preparing us to die um, as a number and as a body in a, that looks like a lot of other, you know, in a uniform that makes us identical. And part of, a huge amount of what you're doing is you know, bringing the, the power for healing and the narrative back to, you know, the, the, the human inside the body. And um, so, yeah, again, was this a conscious choice to deprogram military training or um, how have you found it to um, just be that way anyway? <laughs>
3: There was a couple key points of inspiration, and the short answer is yes. How do we learn new things? Repetition. I learned that in the military. Okay, so if I'm, instead of telling myself um, to react to a threat with violence, I'm going to say kindness, compassion, non-judgment. You know, taking the opposite of what I was trained to do. And uh, my friend Stefan Wolfert, who runs Decruit which is like we're recruited into the military, but we're never de-recruited. So that's the whole essence of his um, his company or his organization. And, and we shared those ideas of, okay, how do I retrain my brain? And then a huge inspiration, uh, Jeremy, he wrote this poem called Try Something Different, I think it's called.
1: I know that poem.
3: Yeah. Uh, what's Jeremy's last
1: name? I can't yes, remember. Please try something different. Uh, Jeremy St. Bergen.
3: Yes. And I was like, so what would happen if we did really try something different? And we applied it and we practiced it and we did it as a community. So then all the pieces of my life started to like, oh, I learned this over here. Good. Okay. And repetition. It's fucking repetition. It's creating new neural pathways and getting the fuck out of the ruts of the dehumanization and... Um, And essentially, the biggest thing we talk about, and I think you heard it when we were at our workshop, is the selfless service. How do you retrain your brain not to throw yourself on every grenade in your life, emotional, physical, uh, your family, all the things? Like, how do I make myself stop doing that? Stop thinking about the person next to me and think about the person within. How do I fill my container and then get from that place instead of getting blown up by grenades all the time? Because of that training, yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <sighs> I, I I try not to book, put big size of of yesness into the microphone so we don't overload the <laughs> the input. But yeah, big giant sigh of agreement right there. Um, we are trained to jump on every grenade as though it is going to be our body that stops all wars and um and it it is it's like um you know we're never taught to be kind to ourselves in the military and to see ourselves as breakable and um and i think that what your programming is doing is like giving a chance for people to acknowledge That we break and also to acknowledge that we can we can find as you say like we can we can create new neural pathways like we can create new muscle memory so yeah that's and yeah so that's that's kind of i think that's one of the more effective ways i've seen of of deprogramming for military conditioning
3: and wouldn't it be interesting Not that I want to create some kind of super military power, but what would have happened if they would have actually taken care of us? If they would have said, hey, don't run in those boots for 15 miles, you're going to get shin splints and your hips and your body's never going to be the same after that. You will never, ever be able to walk the way you used to walk after doing these exercises over and over, miles upon miles with gear, with, you know, not proper, you know, body mechanics or all the things. I mean, they could create a super military by simply taking care of us and not treating us like we're disposable or expendable. But I don't want that to happen I, no, no,
1: I completely agree. Since Sarah, I don't want to like steamroll you. I just, but there's one like burning. Oh thing. yeah, no, you go on. Okay, cool. <laughs> um, I'm curious if you had or what what your moments or places of awakening that um, that helped set off some of your your
3: drive to decondition. Or I think one of the pivotal moments was surprisingly uh with a psychologist in philadelphia it was the first one he said post-traumatic stress disorder is your human reaction to extraordinary circumstances so essentially he told me i was human and i was like oh Okay, so I took the step in that direction. There isn't really anything wrong with me. I know people like to drop the D, you know, and call it PTS. But as it was explained to me, I accepted my PTSD because I saw it as a human reaction to extraordinary circumstances. (laughs) So he, that was like, you know, like day two of therapy, and I was like, oh, okay. But I still didn't have any coping mechanisms. So I had to go like that next step and meeting other veterans uh, was a key pivotal point, especially other veterans that were artists, you know, making paper um, with like JT and Drew at the Green Door in Vermont, like. Like, way, way back when, that was like, I thought combat paper making was stupid at first. I, they had me on video saying that too. I was like, I thought this was gonna be dumb. <laughs> Why would I wanna cut up my uniform? <laughs> but I, I, I felt the deconstruction of myself with every time I cut that uniform. So that was another pivotal point. And then standing on stage and, and reading my first poem that I wrote on an envelope. After having the workshop, but then also, like, being stirred from the workshop and, like, moving through that day and being like, there's something still inside there. And that's when I wrote, We Are Not Your Heroes. And that was one of my first poems. Uh, and I read it for years. <laughs> um, and then the other pivotal points were were working in New York City and and, and seeing that this was truly an art form like I was not just trauma sharing or you know that we are we're artists and and you know working free for organizations civilian that civilians ran not realizing that my story had value was also an interesting and pivotal point when I figured that out oh I could get paid for this (laughs) and my story is valuable interesting that no civilian told me that (laughs) thanks (laughs) i just have to say it because it was so pivotal and i was like oh uh so even in my 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 small nonprofit, if we have money for nothing else we're paying the veterans that get on that stage and speak their truth because they wrote it it came from the heart they practiced it and they performed it and last time i checked that's a paying gig so <laughs> nice. stop ripping off the artists. <laughs> yes. I'm not even going
1: to keep it to snaps. For yeah.
2: A I'm so bad at snapping anyway. So. <laughs> <laughs> um,
3: theater, theater for social change. Another pivotal point. Meeting Faye Simpson, getting in my body to speak instead of speaking from my throat or my mouth, feeling my words down from the earth through my body, through my mouth. I went to Shakespeare and Company and and learned how to, how, to, how to loosen my jaw. Like, oh, you've been clenching your jaw for 25 years? Here's how to <laughs> unleash it. And I was like, oh. The first day that happened, I cried. I, my jaw hasn't been like, oh, that's what not clenching feels like? <laughs> Thanks. Um, and then starting, you know, the, the women organization, women veterans empowered and thriving, like coming up with a name, going through the bumps, still going through the bumps of trying to be a businesswoman, a mother, a student, uh, all the things just, uh, and then, and then as we were doing our facilitator training, I think was another pivotal moment for me. Everyone taking it at their own pace, and not putting it back into that model of like we're gonna push really hard and we're gonna have deadlines and we're gonna do this. This this project is a heart project. Not only are we gonna have the participants do kindness, compassion, and non judgment and fill their container, but we're gonna do it too. And there's some people out there that have a real big fucking problem with that. <laughs> They're like, you, you missed that deadline. And I was like, life. And I'm going to take care of myself. So if you don't want to work with us, you don't have to work with us. (laughs) Cool. (laughs) So, um, and then, you know, meeting Stefan Wolfert and finding that Shakespeare and telling my narrative and being in that room. And it's a lot about being in a secure room. I don't believe in safe spaces. I think that's all bullshit. P.S. P.S. Um, but you can put me in a room and we can all agree on agreements or we can all agree to be cool and, uh, and hopefully it works out to secure that space. And I know secure is a very militant word, but at the same time, like I just, safe spaces, that's, that's, well, I mean, what if I don't feel safe in my own body and I walk into that room? So that's safe space because I'm not safe in my own body. So it, it's a complicated word uh, for me.
2: Um, I think I answered the question. <laughs> no, you did. that was great. Um, agree on safe spaces. Um, I also want to say every time I've, Joy brings um, some of her vet colleagues on, I'm just very humbled as a civilian that did piece work around the same time you all were serving to, you know, be able to hear <laughs> these stories and realize in some ways how, there needs to be more connection between the civilians and the vets who all care about the same ends at the end of the day. Um, but what I really wanted to ask you about was more about your poetry, kind of, um, how you got inspired to start writing it. If there's any poets that influenced you and just kind of your journey through that art form and sort of claiming it as a big part of your artistic identity.
3: I'm so bad at this question. (laughs) Uh, no honestly I had no poets that really inspired me I was completely fucking traumatized after the war and it came spilling out of me like uh, like blood uh-huh. I, that's that's how I started It could not stay inside me any second longer or it was gonna tear me apart and it was tearing me apart and continued to tear me apart for a really long time as I essentially purged my trauma through this beautiful traumatic, like potent poetry i i started i i used to you know turn it on myself uh the, the venom the the uh the, the potency the uh the self-blaming the shame the guilt all that and then i realized it'd be really cool if I threw it out in the audience and didn't have it inside me anymore. And then, you know, trusting the audience not to hold on to it, but like to, to hold the space. It's all that, it's that holding space thing that I really, really, really got into. Uh, so yeah, that, my artistic journey is like a little bit less, less of a story. I was like, yeah, I was in pain. So I, I started there. <laughs> And then people helped me craft it along the way. I had great mentors like Jan Berry, who is a Vietnam veteran poet and a great mentor and a college professor. and And he would let me hang out at his house and help me unfuck the 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 flow of my poetry. Um. So yeah, along the way, I, I had I had mentors to help me, and then good directors like uh, Alex Mallory. She's a and and. She's a great civilian ally. And then I realized that, that thing that you said, that connection. Oh, if we share our stories and then we can open up to the audience and ask them to share what happened with them, we can connect through the struggle. Like, I don't know what childhood trauma is like. I don't know uh, what it's like to get beat up by my father. I don't know any of those things. Uh, Car accidents. I mean, there are so many traumatic things that i i can't even put my head around like war doesn't have the cake on trauma so i really enjoy connecting with other civilians that are that have struggled and i'm like oh well we can we have that thing in common unfortunately but fortunately like okay we can meet there it doesn't have to be a oh my trauma is so much worse than your trauma like fuck you i don't want the trauma i don't want that I, I do, like, wanna, it, the pivotal moment for that, if you don't talk about pivotal moments, I read one of my war stories on in an art gallery. A woman came up to me and said, oh, I just can't imagine what you've been through. Uh, I was only raped. And I was like, what? <laughs> she, like, she gutted me. I, I was like, I, I physically felt like I got hit and i i just held her hand and i can't even remember what the fuck i said but i was just like no like we're not like trauma measuring your story is important my story is important holy shit (laughs) so and and the women veteran focus came from that, the, the military sexual trauma. I really hate when people ask, oh, how many years did you serve? And what rank are you? What rank were you? Well, one of my women veterans was raped within the first year, and she got out. And when people ask her that, that's extremely fucked up. You have no idea what happened. You have no idea that story. So, again, our organization doesn't do ERAS or post-9-11 or, you know, you have to have a DD-214 because, fuck, how many bad papers out there? Those people need community, too. So.
1: That is a really important point that you bring up, and I think it's it's a space where, um, where you kind of bridge a gap between the um, – you know, civilian resources and the, you know, the VA type resources or the mainstream veteran organization resources that um that have a very um very specific idea of like how to address trauma that doesn't um it doesn't give any responsibility for that trauma to the organization that you're seeking care from. <laughs> <laughs> and and it it doesn't um, and it and it wants to hear or worship you at the same time and I I feel like the I would love for you to speak to the hero narrative and like you've already kind of talked about it a little bit like, like the ways that you're trying to like break down like the veteran mystique or whatever you know um, all like trauma is trauma and we all have it you know civilian. Um, or veteran um, alike, civilian and veteran alike. And so, yeah, if you could just speak to the ways that you're, like, the ways that you came to the need to do that or the desire to do that and um, in contrast to these very blinded government organizations or even non-government organizations that are very mainstream veteran-y.
3: have to be honest it started with a very cliche thing that was it's now cliche to to say but it wasn't when it was happening you know going to the VA and being uh accused accused (laughs) um they think you're someone's wife or um my best friend her favorite story is they walk into the waiting room a nurse Mr. Brown Mr. Brown are you here for your appointment you know she's like I am <laughs> she was Mr. Brown for five years or something insane like at least learn um, but now I call the VA and they say uh, you know veterans first name last four and then they, they asked you what your first name is as the veteran. So, so they really created a script to stop those kind of assumptions. But that's where it started. And I got so angry. I got my tattoo that says combat veteran on my arm. I should have got it on my fucking forehead. <laughs> but um, <laughs> <laughs> I think identity is the first, first step. And I believe many women are still struggling with that. Identifying as a veteran, identifying that they served, especially if it was peacetime. Not that there's really peacetime in the military, but like if they served in the '90s or um, stuff like that. Did I answer your question?
1: Yeah, I mean, I I would love to like explore a little bit more of the um, the ways that you're kind of um, turning the veteran. Uh, the other, you know, some some of the more specific ways that you're programming is kind of turning that veteran narrative on its head. You, you talk about it a little bit as, like, we're not just going to rip out your trauma and leave it there on the floor. We're going to, like, hold space and, like, rebuild. Um, but, um, yeah, if you could talk more about the ways that your, your programming does it.
3: Yeah. I think the first place I started with the organization and uh, getting away from that, that hero complex was explaining to people that not every veteran is the same and then showing them and then having them hear it and then sit in the room with women veterans and hear their stories um which would include uh you know military sexual trauma rape assault all of those things uh kind of taking the shininess away from it and um what I wish I was better at was like when people thank me for my service, I still squirm. And I'm like, I don't know what to say. I enjoy it, though, when it's after a performance and we've had this talk back, we've made the connections, other people have shared their experiences in the audience, uh, the civilians, the veterans, whoever showed up. And then someone thanks me for telling my story. We're speaking my truth. These are things that I'll, I'll accept being thanked for because that was really hard. <laughs> it's the service. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that 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 is the service. <laughs> I really and then I'm saying that. Oh, sorry, I don't want to interrupt you. Oh, I was just gonna say that no, it, it's the performances have that same feeling, um, and practices as the workshops. We come in early. We warm up. We hold space together we do breathing together we check in um and then afterwards sometimes uh in a couple of our performances we've done the decompression with the audience done a little breathing uh like an ending of the ceremony drumming we've done um we're really starting to explore like what what is the ritual aspect of our organization what is the caretaking and what is the the art like bringing the art to the to the next level as well but still um holding holding that space with security and and love and compassion I think I answered the question that time (laughs) both answers were good answers (laughs) yeah
2: I just yeah I love how all this is sort of interrogating the underlying structures of how we think about organizing or coming into community or working together and I just really like that you, the thought of, you know, the idea of incorporating ritual and recognizing ritual, too. It's really important, because I think we don't often look at the things we do in this society as ritual.
3: People get really nervous. I have to be honest. You bring up words like ritual, tribe. Tribe is kind of coming into mainstream, so we call ours hashtag tribe shit. Um, but Another, yeah, yeah. Sorry. go ahead.
1: Well, I was just—it's interesting because, like, I you know I've been having a lot of conversations with people around that word "tribe." We uh, were doing because we just and we were just having one last on our last episode with Lola Darling um, because um, because I think or because it's become such a mainstream word and it's become a kind of an appropriated word um, that it's not as um, used. It, to mean, you know, your intention, your community, your like deeply intentional community that contains ritual in this space. But in this context, I feel like this, in this context, it's a lot closer to the, (laughs) the, um, you know, truest meaning of, of that in the, in its original sense.
3: And I'm facing that as well as a, as an organizer, as someone that's, that's creating this thing. The thing that I'm creating is not new, and and uh, and I learned it a lot of it by reading the Greeks, you know, with theater, theology, um, and uh, and therapy. They're, 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 they're three T's, right? And then I'm so curious about Native American rituals, yet I'm so cautious about asking or appropriating. Or so what is what is my modernized? What is our modernized version of ritual? How, how do I make it authentic from within and, um, but also, also value what others have taught us or are willing to share or give to us. So, and you know, I'm walking this fine line of as I go into my Master of Fine Arts this summer, I'm going to be researching ritual and storytelling rituals and trying to create something more <clears throat> than what we're doing. Without, um, I guess the best word is without appropriation. Without, without not honoring the people that come before. And is it, is it as something as clear cut as, um, you know, calling in the the four directions and the winds and the earth and and showing honor to the ancestry? Is it? What does it look like? What does it look like that? Uh, is it honoring or is it leaving? And. You know, what what is it is one of my big questions going into my MFA.
2: That's really interesting to me. I won't get us on a whole side tangent because I know we're probably coming up to time. But um, as Joy knows, I'm very interested in like Western esotericism, and I've been kind of leaning into a lot of like neo paganism and kind of like, I guess witchcraft for lack of a better word, things. So it's been interesting for me finding that ritual tradition. You know from sort of like a western stream so i would i would love to talk more about ritual <laughs> organizations sometime yeah. that's if you want to get witchy, witchy with it but
3: I, I love i yeah Karina and i Karina's is my vice president who um it's so magical to find someone that supports your vision but doesn't want to steal it um and so that—that's what what you know. Having a partnership and a, and a board member is that—that that see your vision, support your vision, but don't want to kick you out or, <laughs> or <laughs> steal it. <laughs> so totes to you, Karina Brown. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, we say that all the time. The point was, and you can cut this if you want. We like we're gonna like go in the backyard and stir our cauldron and talk <laughs> about <laughs> ritual and yeah. and. and, and uh, she took a class uh, called spiritual activism, uh, so we're we're all into it. We're we're putting ourselves out, you know. There's energy to this stuff. There's all kinds of layers and levels, and so uh, yeah, we're digging in. We're we're not <laughs> we're not your daddy's uh, veteran organization. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I like that because I think so much organizing misses the different levels, and we need all the levels. So. Yeah,
3: yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and I gotta, I gotta be transparent. Having the guys get involved into the all veterans, um, is is been cool, because then we see the community evolving. We see the community rising up together to be together on this level instead of like, you know, I think you're gonna play combat, Dick, instead of you know. Showing all of our combat dicks and, and and measuring trauma and doing all the fucking stupid shit that we learned in the military. Um, now we're a community, and we're gonna talk about it, and we're gonna laugh, and we're gonna have um, have each other, have each other's back. Yeah, that's the. I think the thing that we
1: lose when we leave the military is. Um, you know, for better or worse, a group of people that has each other's back, um, whether or not you like each other, uh, whether or not like you want you would kick each other's ass, but you also have each other's back, and <laughs> yeah. and these both happen, and and I think that there's you know the um, that space is a special. It's like. Can, we can call it trauma bonded, sure. It's a trauma bonded space. It's a it's kind of a codependent space, but at the same time, it's like the closest thing to to real camaraderie and community that we have in this. Um, <laughs> I love the dog interjection.
3: Yeah, but yeah. he was howling in agreement. <laughs> yeah, like we need that. We
1: need our our you know our pack. And, uh, and, and we, I know I missed it when I got out and I went and tried to find another pack and it wasn't, it didn't quite work. So, um, so yeah, that's a really, the ritual, the pack, the community, like all of these things I think are really distorted and exploited by the military. So I think what you're doing, um, and I love, by the way, that your acronym is Wvet. That's great. Well done with your empowered and thriving self. Um, is it to you know take those take those wonderful helpful things back and like um, and to, to give them back to veterans in a way that is not um, it doesn't. You know i've been in your workshops you know you're not forcing anybody to have an opinion about the military or anything in order to take part in a community um but you're also having space for everyone to feel how they feel about the military which is not something that mainstream veteran organizations do
3: and it's cool when it works with it really, really works in the moment because a lot of us are like-minded in the room. but then every, you know, often or sometimes someone will come in with a completely opposing view, especially, I mean, you know, about the vaccinations or about what the military is doing in Afghanistan, differing viewpoints. And I was so, it was like the first time I was proud in a long time when all of these veterans sat in a room and were able to speak their truth, not fucking argue, hear each other, say resonations. Resonations is our loophole. Hmm. You can say something resonated with you, and it could be negative or positive. You could be like, oh, that resonated with me. You know, because you know, I'm angry about it. But, and, and and so you can still be heard. You can still uh, you know, say that, that it resonated with you, but it doesn't have to be an argument. And it doesn't have to downward spiral into destroying the entire community. It can just be space holding you know, making eye contact. At the end of the workshop, we breathe together and we are still a community, even if we don't agree on anything. And how fucking boring would it be if we agreed on everything anyway? So yeah, that's not what I'm advocating for. I'm advocating for space for everybody. Awesome.
1: awesome. Thank you so much for doing this work. As yeah. as a woman veteran, um, it's crucial to have spaces like, like the one you're providing and um, you know, I know that it's not something that's easy to find out there. So, so thank you for doing that and and uh, <laughs> navigating the business end so that you can actually be a nonprofit doing it. So hell yeah, um, more women veterans should be starting businesses. Just gonna put that out there. I'm gonna try and take my own advice. Um, but what is? We'll just we like to try to end on a. On a constructive note here, in this, <laughs> with all this apocalypse talk, so uh, what? What is fueling your fire, Jenny Pakanowski? What is it that's what is it that's keeping keeping your fire burning?
3: <laughs> it, it's my passion. It's wanting to do things differently. And, and and you know, I, I could I guess I could tagline myself. I wanna be empowered and thrive and I want that for my community too. And I want people not to survive but thrive and I really, really want that in not like a hashtag way, but like an authentic, deep feeling empowered from within. And that's what that's what fuels it. That's why I went back to school, that's why I take business classes. It's like not only how do I support my community but how do I create an employment program for my facilitators how do I pay my veterans how do I you know create spaces that that resonate with everyone no matter what their their opinions and lifestyles are um I don't know I guess what fuels my fire is you know passion for life and um yeah (laughs) i want to live and i haven't i after i accepted death uh it took me a long time to want to live so now i want to show other people how to live too Mm -hmm. like as the best version of themselves (laughs) well that's i know i'm like oh i I, it's just now it's flowing out of me (laughs)
2: that's beautiful
1: you just hug my heart every time uh, I see talk to you.
3: It's, <laughs> can I can I have like an off the off the subject uh, <laughs> question to you? I'm like so since, since I would like to interview you now. <laughs> All right, go for it. <laughs> Fire away. I um I don't know, when I look back I see myself as pretty volatile and uh not easy to be around and i want to know if that is an accurate description (laughs) because i don't know i don't know who i was back then like i couldn't see myself and i was super judgy of myself so was it as bad as i thought it was like was i like the worst person to be around or oh
1: my god no it's so funny you were saying that
3: and i was actually thinking like
1: I was totally volatile and hard to be around and like judgy. And um, even though I was trying to have a good time in my life and no, I think you, the the thing that I've always related to about you is that like you wear your struggle in a very like real way. So like I could tell you every, you know, I could tell that you were struggling, like I was struggling, like every veteran I know struggles, um, and you were being, like, very real about it, and very, um, unashamed of it, and I thought it was one of, like, the most empowering ways to be, because, yeah, we, I don't think you were, you were a bad person, or, and I don't think you came off as volatile as you thought you did, um, I think you, you've always had this um, energy, and and that was like trying to get out. And I could always tell that you were just frustrated by your inability to let your inner bright Jenniness out because it was being like held down by all of that bullshit from like the war and the military and the conditioning and. And also from struggling against the military industrial complex in the ways that we did and do, and finding that to be a whole other a whole other thing. So I hope to answer to answer you, like I I don't think that you were volatile in the ways that you might have thought you were, but I totally know what you mean because I felt that way too. And we were in the military at about the same time and got out at around the same time. I think, right? when You got out in what year?
3: Yeah, uh, like, well, I got off active duty 2004, 2007, so.
1: Okay, yeah, and I got out in 08, so. And we were both deployed around the same time. So, it, you know, it's, you know, it's it's been about, you know, 13 to 15 years, 15 to 16 years. 16 years since my first deployment. Holy shit. And um, so, yeah, like, we have, we're on a trajectory, Um, I think our trajectory has been, um, easier to, I say we, because, like, I really do think of us all as, like, kind of the same person. Like, one interconnected veteran that kind of goes through a trajectory of experience. We get out of the military, and we have to process it somehow, and we go through that in phases. And I relate to the phase you were in when I met you because I was also kind of in that phase.
3: Yeah, and, that's true. You
1: yeah. know, so you, you were, when I met you, like I said, I was like, one of me. Woo-hoo. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I also remember that feeling. And you actually... Were the first trip I took without my service dog. I was already starting to try to do things without him, and I flew to California, and I, I stayed with you, and uh, it was it was that was a pivotal point of like okay maybe maybe I can function in this world, you know, next to people like Joy. are <laughs> <laughs> looking Joy right out. <laughs> And I have to give mad heart taps to bones because oh. he was there too. And mm-hmm. I needed him. I needed him to just be present with me. And part of that journey was visiting you and, and meeting him. Yeah, he um, was the sweetest you. dog. Yes.
0: <laughs> well, on on that
1: warm and fuzzy note, literally and figuratively, um, thank you so much. Jenny Paganowski for gracing us with your bright and brilliant presence and for doing all the work you do. If there's anything else you want to add, please feel free. Um, But also uh, please tell people where they can find you and how they can reach out to you and and, um, get involved in your work.
3: As Joy said on the top of the show, it's uh, uh, JennyWarriorPoet.com. And my organization is org, And again, we're inclusive and diverse, so we've opened our program to all veterans, family of veterans. And if you live in the Lehigh Valley, all women. So thank you for having me. Thank you for uh, providing this space for me to speak my truth and say why I do what I do. Thank you. Yeah.
2: Thank you. I really yeah, enjoyed this conversation a lot. Sam.
3: Quickly to clarify, I want
1: to make sure when you say all women, you mean all trans women as well, correct?
3: In all veterans, yes.
1: Yeah, all yeah trans women veterans as well as cis women veterans. Cool. I, I feel like it's important to put that out there these days, especially with this conversation being everywhere right now, as it should be, um, just to clarify. So thank you so much, and uh, and we'll...
3: Send people your way, and I just appreciate knowing that you're out there. I appreciate knowing you're out there as well. And I would love to talk about witchy things.
2: Awesome. <laughs> Anytime. So. Witches be right. crazy. It's now. That was so bad i like always got to end on a dad joke. Okay.
3: Warm <laughs> fuzzies and the dad joke. I don't worry. Dad joke. Do you see my beast in the background? This this is what I have. It's like my giant dog. He's staring at. me. I love him. Oh. <laughs>
2: He's guarding.
3: <laughs> yeah. She's
4: hunting. He's like, is there a bunny out there? <laughs> <laughs> awesome.
3: I think back to the times, I dare not call them the quote, end quote, good old days. Let's say the times of deployment and military service where the brutality and inhumanity were admired and revered. Raised by a Marine, I was the girl shrouded in wolf's clothing, anticipated all the threats if foul gestures became actions of intent. I sniffed out the perpetrators, awaiting the vulgarity, baring my teeth at the predators that threatened my fair fellow female medics. Within my fierce defensiveness, I covered my heart in barbed wire, closing the gates, released the hounds to allow their echo to vibrate fear into the souls of men. Now, these men just think I'm angry, I'm unruly, I'm unmanageable, I'm potent. I infiltrated their military. I excelled in, in the right of passage, the right of passage into manhood. My first sign of proof, the command sergeant major of my entire battalion spoke to me. I was just a private, PV2 to be exact still in AIT, job training to be a medic. And he said, Pachinowski, you have some balls. (laughs) (laughs) I saw their secrets. I saw what men, military men, become behind closed doors. Mostly it's immaturity, acting out like pubescent little boys. The boys talks about tits and ass, bitches and hoes, which led to the inevitable discussion of how and when they were going to get their dick wet. This conversation follows quickly by which Orphis will provide the most bang or pop. This leads us to their favorite topic, bodily functions. We will start with belching. It could be... From the alphabet to the national anthem, with or without beer, then farting, then being silent and deadly, tooting your horn, busting ass. <laughs> These are child's play compared to the ejaculation dictionary. <laughs> busting a nut, shooting off the load, cleaning out the pipes, firing your wad, getting your rocks off, shooting in the bush, getting off half cocked to the most embarrassing dishonorable discharge. (laughs) And I'm not even going to talk about the porn. I think I've painted the picture pretty clear. (laughs) And yes, yes I did it. I joined the boys club, I slipped on my strap, I adjusted my balls, opened my legs as my vagina metamorphosized into my combat dick. Mm-hmm. I found a way to survive among these supposed men, marines, combat soldiers, the military. I had to sharpen my wit, calibrate the edge of my tongue just enough to cut them down, while getting the other boys to laugh along. Mm
4: -hmm.
3: Strategic and sound. If no one laughs, I might be perceived as a bitch. Or worse, a pussy. Mm -hmm. A pussy is the worst label you can attain in the military. And my fair, young, pink pussy had to be transformed into a combat dick (laughs) to excel, to survive. It's not who I intended to be, but I simply adapted, improvised, and overcame. So the more barbaric I became about sex and women, the more crassly I spoke, I was accepted. I became the wolf. On a base called Al-Assad, with 30,000 Marines, me and my fair fellow medics, which slept on over to the chow hall, where the food was temperate, but better than an MRE, graciously we had endured another day of shifts at the Navy Hospital or the gritty jarring convoys through the menacing roadways of the Sunni Triangle. However, before we could nourish our dredging bodies, we had to walk the runway. The runway was more like a gauntlet of eye-fucking, open-mouthed, drooling, we were the lamb displayed on the feasting table as the boys gawked, giggled, whispered, And undressed us with their untamed leering being plucked out by the most raunchy thoughts, even in our uniform. And in that desert, my humanity dried up. My civility, my femininity, evaporated in that hot Iraq sun. And I believe I lived because of it. Or at least, The letters M-S-T do not follow my P-T-S-D. Coming home a wolf with the bulge of my combat dick, I was fearless. Even when the cop pushed me at the sobriety checkpoint, my combat hard-on rose to the occasion and I tackled him to the ground and I started swinging on
4: him. Until his partner tased me.
3: I guess combat dicks don't integrate so well into civilian culture. Fast forward, 2016. I meet groups of male veterans. It happens again. They judge my scarf, my curvy hips. They probably look at the way I lick my lips and think, wow, what a beautiful cocksucker she would be. I bet she was admin, they say. Then I reach up into my voluptuous pink pussy You know that thing, the worst label in the military? And I birthed it once again. My combat dick. And these men, these veterans, these boys, realize I am the worst monster of them all. Because when I did my job in Iraq, over there, over here, on base in a workshop in a theater company, my pussy led the charge. Unfortunately, without a single one of them touching me, They raped my ideals of what I thought warriors were, strong, elite, true to their integrity, of themselves, of the military, representing a proud country, bleeding red, white, and blue. And what I found were boys, spooching and pissing, marking their territories. Standing on this stage, I go against everything the Boys Club represents. That boys' club I fought so hard to be a part of. I know I may be shunned, disowned by my band of brothers, but I don't care what they think anymore because I'm going to castrate my combat dick, reclaim my femininity, beware the pussy. (laughs) The worst thing to be in the military. (laughs)
2: Happy day after Halloween.
1: Yeah, happy All Saints' Day.
2: Oh, that's are right. We all, yes. are we all? Day? <laughs> I think it is. Yeah, I think, I think depending on how you celebrate Samhain, it could also still be Samhain because some people do it for three days. That's I might true. be wrong about the exact dates. We like to be holiday inclusive on mm-hmm. what the folk.
1: We like to incorporate all the rituals.
2: All the rituals. Speaking of incorporating all the rituals, I absolutely loved Jenny's approach to organizing and what she's doing with her organization. I just think that it's such a great structure to include those aspects of ritual and consciousness, but also inclusivity in a real genuine way.
1: Yeah, in a very, in a very um, open, like hearted way, not just yeah. like a sort of open in-word in way.
2: Yeah. Like actually demonstrating how you build a space that will bring a lot of people in, but also like, you know, she creates space for, you know, different people's needs, like having the women's group, the women's veterans group, you know, like all these different groups sort of intertwines in the organization. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a really, yeah, it's just such a holistic approach to building a community and it's such a great model and it's not I think a lot of activist orgs maybe aspire to that but it's not a model I think I see normally.
1: Right. It seems like it's a it's a model that developed like pr- pretty organically for her and it's also um a model that you know you hear about as like in relationship to mat- matriarchal indigenous cultures a lot of the time where it's like you know the matriarchal culture isn't just like patriarchy but for women mm-hmm. it's it's essentially like opening up a space where everyone can um you know have the space to to exist in the way that they do and not only do most you know veteran organization most veteran organizations not do that but most you know organizations of humans in general don't do that in this at least in this country
2: yeah for sure um and you know and we're certainly I know both guilty of this and there's a time and a place for it but you know it's taking that real like frustrated burn it down kind of arsenal energy it's like you know patriarchy or dominator culture or whatever you want to call it but it kind of seems like Jenny just kind of built this space and then naturally eventually, you know, like men were drawn to it because it was something they needed too. So it's kind of interesting to think about, you know, at least as a thought experiment, like maybe it's, it is creating those spaces and those examples that is almost a more powerful approach to, you know, addressing some of these structural issues than simply, you know, raging against the machine. As much as raging against the machine is pretty fun. You know. Yeah. Oh. It's, it's sort of a different. We'll of...
1: <laughs> it's, sort of, it's sort of a different <laughs> approach. I mean, it's not not rage. It's just not explosive rage. And I th- think that there, you know, there can be space for both. Um, and Jenny, you know, has, she came through a lot of personal you know, grappling with, with, um, you know, the pressure to be an explosive rager, you know, in her poem, mm-hmm. Combat Dick, she's, mm-hmm. um, she's really, you know, speaking directly to that pressure to whip out her, you know, combat dick to be taken seriously, mm-hmm. to protect herself, to show, to, you know, to be part of a team and, even in part of a community. And um and so what she's done with this organization, it's like, it's absolutely beautiful to watch what she's doing with it. It's, it's, a, it's evolutionary. It's it's like a, it's an evolving group that mm-hmm. is like its receptivity is like the antithesis to the closed off, shut down, walled off like patriarchal military culture that a lot of veterans organizations replicate without even necessarily meaning to.
2: Yeah, totally. I mean, I've got so much direct experience with that. So I feel that you're definitely well qualified to give that perspective for sure. Um, one thing I thought of too, is like, yeah, I like rage can take a lot of different forms and they're sacred rage too that you can can use to kind of build with, not necessarily just tear down. Although a good tearing down probably would hurt things too. (laughs) But um, just thinking about, you know, like Jenny's poetry too, like art can be such an amazing space to grapple with all those feelings and to have a container, you know, for that fire that needs to destroy things to make new things come. So Mm -hmm. that's a very like maybe highfalutin way to look at art, but I feel like I don't know, that's one of the best things about it is it can be a container for so many different things and complex realities that weirdly enough, in reality we're not very good at grappling with. So mm-hmm.
1: it yeah, I mean it gives us the ability to express things that we can't express in words. Um like or at least in in conversations. You know, poetry poetry is not Um, a conversation per se necessarily Mm -hmm. I mean I guess there are some conversations that are very poetic and some poems that are very conversational but like you're not going to like walk up to someone and when they're like how's it going you're not probably going to recite them a poem that they then have to interpret to figure out how it's going (laughs) Mm -hmm. um that's not like that's not capitalism's way. That's not rugged individualism's way. That's not, you know, the way of our culture that we've, you know, that we've grown in this nation, but we are going to like need to do that. So yeah, it's the military, the VA has, you know, they'll do writing workshops. I know they do some writing workshops and some group workshops, but like she's talking, like Jenny talks about, you know, those groups really have blinders up around like the reasons why these things need to be expressed and worked through. Mm -hmm. And like, so when you try to talk about it and you try to art about it and you even try to poem about it, you know, you could be told things like you're being too political and it's like, you know what? Like the space needs to exist for people To live in political realities as political beings and not be shut down for that reason. And sometimes it's gonna come out as controversial art.
2: Yeah, but especially when it's tied to the reality of someone's experience, how do you separate that? You know, I'm not necessarily one of those people that thinks absolutely every space is occupied by politics, but when it's come to like people that have served in the military, you can't really separate. (laughs) political from the personal trauma experienced
1: you'd think but I mean you know I was in the UC Berkeley veterans group when I was there in school and you know I was I was told that this group was is an apolitical group and I was like we are all here on our GI bill (laughs) like (laughs) there's nothing apolitical about us um we're all here because we um we went We, you know, we, as, you know, teenagers, I guess for some of us, but as technically adults, we agreed to be part of a political system and, um, you can't, you can't go back on that once you're in it. So like the best you can do is process it. And I feel like that's one of the things that, um, women veterans empowered and thriving is doing in this way that is, um, it's it's also really strong and fierce is what, well, while it's being, um, while it's being open and welcoming to everyone's experience.
2: Yeah. And again, it's that like kind of powerful matriarchal coming to bear. So, you said something really great in our pre-show conversation. Um, I wrote it down in our chat notes, uh, apolitical and being open to everyone's political reality is not the same Thing and I thought that was really really good.
1: Well, so. thank you. I think it's it really is um, unfortunately like a limitation of a lot of our like societal discussions that we can't we don't make that separation if like we're talking about a political reality, you know, we can't like take apart or see the nuance there. It's a way of shutting down any disruption of the status quo. Usually, when you're told that a group is apolitical, Um, it's said in defense of um, somebody saying, "Why is our university veterans group? Why is all we do tailgate parties? It doesn't actually like exercise the space we take up in this world as veterans in a very like you know in a fairly prestigious university." Prestige, prestigious university <laughs> they prestigious. <laughs> prestigious. Yeah. told me uh, if I didn't like it I could get the fuck out and I was
2: like cool I will bye <laughs> <laughs> thanks for suggesting well a couple of things like yeah I mean as 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 Howie Zinn said that's what I call Howard in. Um, yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. how been said you can't stay neutral on a moving train and that's like we're on a fucking moving train. It's going about 200 miles an hour at this point, I think. Not really at sure least. where, at least. So that might be underestimating the speed. So like, yeah, they're like making the choice to not be political is a political choice, especially in the context of a veterans group.
1: Right. Usually people who say they're apolitical are actively ignoring somebody else's oppression. Um, yeah, that's why they're doing it. And, you know, I think especially as we're coming up on veterans day and, you know, the big, the, you know, the influx of thank you for your service that I try to hide from as much as possible. Um, you know, that, even that statement, you know, people will say that and they'll say that they're not political. If you respond to them as like, well, the war was wrong. They're like, well, I don't want to get political. It's like, well, you just thanked me for being part of the military industrial complex. If you don't know that's what you're doing, then, um, you know, I'm sorry, but like, I hate to break it to you. You're being political and I'm going to be political back. <laughs> so that's why I, these days just try to tell people or encourage people to say something like welcome home or how are you, or do you need a hug? Um, Because it really allows people to have whatever experience they have with their time that they spent in the military.
2: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. It's probably good for people to know those alternatives too, especially for, you know, sort of naive civilians such as myself. Um, because, you know there is that pressure to acknowledge the day and acknowledge what people have gone through well we'll post all the links you need to follow jenny and support her amazing organization for veterans Day in the chats yes
1: we will it's and it's um it's really wonderful to know that women veterans and empowered and thriving is out there to know jenny peckinowski is out there to know that all of our what the folk fam is out there um, and we should, we should let you know, we're going to be asking you for money soon. So like heads up, a couple yes. of people have asked me when they can give us money and I'm like, Hey, hang on there. We'll get there. Let us build up our self-esteem. We'll get there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we'll, and we'll be back. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with, with more, uh, more conversations. Thank you so much to to all y'all for listening and uh, and for listening to Jenny. Go follow her. She's incredible.
0: It's ten minutes past daybreak. I already need a smoke break, or else I'll have a mental break and break somebody's face. I just found out that my friend's been blown away. I'm not a good day, cause there's no relief, no release. There's only this pit where all of us can sit, fill our lungs with smoke, fill our hearts with hope. I think I'm gonna swoon From the heat inside this tent That feels like a cocoon And the whistle of a mortar overhead Reminds me that I could have been dead Cause there's no release No release There's only this pit where feeling alright. The tip of my cigarette glows with an orange light. And now I hear a mortars hit our smoking pit, but that still won't make me quit. Cause there's no relief, no release. There's only this Drag a couple jokes as we burn a couple smokes And then go back to war And then go back to war What the Folk is co-produced and
1: co-hosted by Sarah Baranowskis and Joy Damiani. Our guest on this episode has been Jenny Pakinowski founder and director of Women Veterans Empowered and Thriving. You can find that organization at womenveteransempowered.org and jenny at jennywarriorpoet.com. You can find us at whatthefolkpod.com. You can follow us on all the socials at whatthefolkpod. And if you want to email us, you can do that at WhatTheFolkPod@gmail.com. at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we hope you'll join us again next time and beyond. (laughs) Until next time, don't let the
0: apocalypse get you down.